Welcome to our podcast. I'm Candace Nasser, and I'm the founder of MomQ. We're so blessed to have you with us here today, and I pray that God will speak to you with exactly the words that you need to hear in this message and that you will be encouraged. So glad to see you guys this morning. Those of you that were at the party last Thursday, we had so much fun and um, we played this newlywed game. Y'all might have seen the clip on Instagram that Sam put up with um, some of the, she did a reel and we played this newlywed game and Jessica and Michelle and um, Andrea Wallace, and who else was up there? Oh, Amanda Harrington and her. So the couples were up there. It was the funniest thing, y'all. I mean, I don't think I've laughed that hard in a long time. So um, anyway, hope to do something like that again. Really fun. All right, so today our question, our mom question is, is honesty always the best policy? Uh, speaking of the newlywed game, <laughs> thinking about the honesty uh, that went on there, it was very interesting. Um, so I hope that you guys are encouraged this morning and that you get uh, that God speaks to you in a special way. So let me ask, has anyone ever told a lie only to be caught in the most embarrassing or hilarious way? So BuzzFeed asked that question to their community uh, several years ago, and they got back some interesting stories. And I wanted to share one with you because I thought maybe that you guys could relate. So this is what one of the BuzzFeed community people wrote in. When I was 18 years old, a guy kept asking me out, but instead of telling him that I wasn't interested so as not to hurt his feelings, I told him I was going on vacation to visit my relatives. Well, long story short, a few days later, he messaged me asking if I was having a good time. I was actually just at my local Walmart buying a bag of chips. I texted back and said, yeah, I'm doing great. We're in the kitchen cooking a big dinner. After that, I felt someone staring at me. So I looked up to see that guy in the aisle. I had the most awkward eye contact in my whole life. I left quickly with my bag of Doritos, and on my way out, I got another text from him saying, unbelievable. I learned my lesson, though. Sometimes it's better to tell the truth, even if it hurts. Hmm. Anybody ever been through something like that? Um, so that's a, that's a funny one. Um, there's, some, there's some tough ones, I'm sure. Uh, we've all told a lie at some point right? We've all been dishonest at some point, maybe even in the last 24 hours, maybe even since this morning. We, as a culture, lying has become commonplace. We, we see it, uh, it's almost, it's borderline acceptable, really. I mean, think about who's in the spotlight. Politicians, celebrities, CEOs, I mean, what are ethics even anymore? The Sam Bankman-Fried and the FTX crypto crash, that's just the latest in a a history of decades of scandals. It's really sad. So why do we lie? Think about it. What makes us lie? Well, the American Counseling Association says sometimes it's to protect ourselves, like 
I'm on my way to the hospital to visit my dying grandma, officer. That's why I was speeding. Or to protect someone else, like the collection agency calls and you say, I haven't seen my brother in over a month, and I have no idea what he's doing when he's actually in the next room. And the lie might be to avoid being embarrassed, to hide an awkward situation, or just to make someone think better of us. We lie for a lot of reasons. Sometimes there's people who lie repeatedly. If you know that person, maybe it's you lie repeatedly, it usually has to do with control. Those people want to have control of the situation, and if the truth doesn't allow that, then they will come up with a lie to create the narrative that they want. Repeated lying. We know from experience that lying hurts relationships. It also hurts us. Interestingly, whether you're caught or not doesn't really matter. The Scientific American Journal did a study in 2019 and concluded that an act of deceit can undermine a person's ability to interact with their peers, even those removed from the original lie. They said, speaking specifically, we found that when people engage in dishonest behavior, they're less likely to see themselves as relational, as a mother, sister, friend, and they have difficulty discerning about the emotions of others. So lying isn't good for us. It's not good for our health. There are studies that have shown that when we lie less, we feel better. So there's lots of reasons that we shouldn't lie, and yet we do. Why is this? I believe it's because God gave us a conscience. Why do we, why do we feel Uh, bad when we lie because God gave us a conscience. He wrote right and wrong on our hearts. And we know when we're not doing the right thing. And if we ignore our conscience, it affects us negatively. We have guilt and shame that we don't need to have. And if we lie, if we continue to ignore our conscience, then it can harden our hearts. And that is definitely not something we want. God loves us, and he knows what's best for us. And he tells us in his word a lot not to lie. The first scripture that I have for you this morning is Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Notice that lying is mentioned two times in this list of seven things. God takes lying really seriously. This was written by Solomon. The book of Proverbs is considered a book of wisdom. And so he is warning the the people. He's specifically, he's talking to his son. He's talking to the Israelites. Leading up to this, he's talking about the character of a worthless person. So a worthless person 
would have these types of uh, vents, right? They would, they would do this types, these types of things. And, he, and Solomon is warning us to not do these because God hates them. It's actually a literary device that he uses when he says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. This was what they did to get someone's full attention, six to seven. So God is saying, listen up. These are an abomination to me. An abomination is physical repugnance to God. It physically, it makes God sick when we lie. And another abomination that is mentioned in the Bible is sacrificing children to idols. So you have lying as an abomination, child sacrifice as an abomination. God views lying very, very harshly. And yet, how do we view lying? The Bible says that God is truth, and his word is truth. We can know the truth, and the truth sets us free. And God promises blessings to those who obey. He asks us to walk in the truth and to love the truth as much as he does. There's Psalm um, 15 1 through 2, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your heart, who shall dwell on your holy hill, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. God blesses honesty. He blesses us when we walk in his truth. Honest people live lives governed by what is true and right in both their words and in their deeds. And because of this, they're trustworthy. But it's so hard. It's so hard. We all struggle. I struggle. We all struggle with different ways of being dishonest. Why is this? Well, we have a sin nature, if you didn't know that. We were born with a sin nature. That means anything that we think or say or do that doesn't please God and it's all about, I love our, our Hill Country pastor on last Sunday spoke about how sin has I in the middle. And I love that because I, it's all about me, right? Those things that we do for our own selfish sense, that is sin. When we turn from what we know God's best is and we do what is what we want to do, that is sin. And so our sin is our flesh, and we want to walk in our flesh, and we want to do those things that are easy and feel good and serve our flesh, right? We want to serve our flesh. And yet God tells us that we have the Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit to enable you to walk in his truth. And then there's the, the devil, God's enemy. He's real. And he, Jesus calls him, what? The father of lies. He's the father of lies. And he is prowling around out there looking for someone to devour. He wants you to lie. You know why? Because when we lie, it hurts relationships. 
Even if we're not caught, remember the Scientific American Journal says even if we're not caught, it still hinders our relationships, our ability to relate to others, our ability to uh, discern others' emotions. So, but the devil, it hurts relationships. And you know what happens? When we get alone and isolated or feel alone and isolated, he can draw us deeper and deeper away from God. And so... Being honest, choosing to walk in truth, stops the devil in his tracks. It shines God's light in a dark world. When When we choose to do what is right, even if it doesn't benefit us, we love self sacrificially. And when it, um, we're being trustworthy and dependable. These are characteristics that, of God that we want to reflect. And so when we're walking in the light, when we're walking in truth, we're being trustworthy and dependable. And this is what God asks of us. He asks us to walk in the truth. And the first way that we can walk in the truth is having honesty in our conversations. Conversations, our words. Okay? So walking in the truth means being honest with our words. When we speak honest words, people trust us. And when we don't, when we lie, we break that trust. So there are three areas of dishonesty that creep into our lives that I'm going to address this morning. The first one is gossip. I'm going to be honest. I've shared this um, maybe last year at some point, but gossip as a, has, was for many, many years a problem for me. I grew up in a family in the deep south, you know, where they do that thing called say one thing and stab you in the back. It's that whole two-faced thing. Um, I have two mothers. Um, one of them in particular was just the gossipiest thing. And so that was modeled for me that you just tear people down with your words behind their back. I struggled with it for many years until... I nearly ruined a really close relationship, and the Holy Spirit really got a hold of me and convicted me that I needed to turn from this sin in my life. Spreading false witness means making statements about someone that might not be true, even if you don't realize it. And I don't know if y'all know this, but thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor is one of the Ten Commandments. So not only is it in Proverbs 6, 6 through 6, 16 through 19, do not, do not bear false witness, but it's, a tenth, it's, a ninth, it's the ninth commandment out of ten that we are not to bear false witness. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. So that's why gossip is just this animal that it is best to just keep your feet way behind the line and don't share things that aren't your story to tell. I learned this the hard way. And I love in Proverbs uh, 25, 18, Solomon compares a man who bears false witness to his neighbor as using a violent weapon. Words hurt. Lies harm people. I had to learn this the hard way. If gossip is an issue for you, talk to me. Talk to your mentor mom or an accountability partner and let us start praying for you. You can overcome it. I am 
proof, living proof. Praise the Lord. We also lie, another area of dishonesty that comes into our lives besides gossip is to cover up sin. To cover up sin. When we conceal or misrepresent the truth to hide sin, we're practicing deception. You know what I'm talking about. Your kids open the pantry door. Mom, what happened to that box of cookies? And you say, oh, your dad ate it when it was really you. Or you have that Amazon box show up on the doorstep and your husband sees it. And it's another Amazon box? Seriously? Again? And you're like, oh, I'm just going to return that. I just wanted to see what it looked like. I have every intention of sending that back. When you really don't intend to, just so he won't get mad at you. Anybody? And then there's those bigger, like, sins that cause major issues, like drinking or other addictions. And when we don't speak the truth about those when confronted... We're concealing sin. We're practicing deception. And the lies to keep the secrets weave a bigger and bigger web and draw us further and further from God. So I just want to stop for a second and say that some of these sin situations are really, really big. And if this is you right now, take hope. God these are, first of all, these are strongholds. That's what the Apostle Paul calls a spiritual battle in your life. And if you're in the midst of a spiritual stronghold, Jesus came to demolish strongholds and set the captives free. Whatever it is, he can help you break the power of that stronghold and he can bring you into freedom. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Spiritual strongholds do not have to control you. God knows about your struggles anyway. He knows everything about you. We can't hide it from him. We think we do sometimes, but we don't. He knows everything that we're struggling with. And so concealing our sin is really just hurting us. So he asks us to come to him. What can you do so that we don't let Satan have that victory in our lives? First, be honest with yourself. First, be honest with yourself and admit that you're struggling. Second, talk to God about it in prayer. Come to a place where you confess this stronghold, this sin in your life whether it's a pattern of dishonesty or it's covering up sin, whatever it is, we want to confess it to God. There's no need to feel guilt or shame because if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. God just wants you to come to him and confess it and so he can come alongside you, strengthen you through his Holy Spirit to overcome it. And then find a trusted Christian friend or a counselor that can help you get through this and hold you accountable and come up with strategies. There's a ministry that you may or may not have heard of called Celebrate Recovery. 
It's offered at our main campus, uh, Hill Country's main campus. And I know some people, even in this room, that have done and been part of Celebrate Recovery. And it's a very, very powerful, powerful ministry. So any addictions of any kind, any strongholds of any kind, anything that has your, um, that has your heart that isn't Jesus, that it takes over your life and that you're practicing a deceptive life over, Celebrate Recovery is a great option. And there's great counselors as well that, that we can connect you with. So let us know. Again, let us know. We want to pray with you, and we want to we help you through it. And then the third way that dishonesty gets in the, into our lives is those white lies, those pesky white lies. You know, those ones that everybody tells, the ones that we tell all the time to keep from hurting someone's feelings or to make ourselves look better, aren't those okay? I mean, they're for, they're, we tell them for good, right? Well, God calls us to walk in truth. And even a white lie is not the truth. So let's talk about white lies for a second. Gosh, these are hard. First of all, those white lies that we tell to make ourselves look better, um, to benefit ourselves, like I was late because my car had a, a flat tire when you really slept in or overslept, um, or I can't make it tonight because my dog is sick. Hmm, you really just got a better offer. So it's not, is that hurting anyone? It's a lie. It's being dishonest. God doesn't want us to lie. And then there are those white lies that we tell to avoid hurting people. I mean, aren't those okay? We justify it because we want to avoid conflict or keep the peace. These are really hard. Gotquestions.org, which is Annie mentioned last week, and it's a great resource that I just adore, um, they say tellers of white lies think that they're speaking out of love. But the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. In love. So what does that look like? The Bible says in Psalm 12, 2, that speaking dishonest words to avoid conflict is flattery. It calls, the Bible calls it flattery. And the definition of flattery is excessive and insincere praise to serve one's own self-interest. So, let me introduce you to a prophet in the Old Testament named Micaiah. Micaiah lived at the time when Israel had been split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And at the time that Micaiah was a prophet, the northern kingdom of Israel, the king was Ahab. And the southern kingdom of Judah, the king was Jehoshaphat. And Ahab was this really wicked king. He was a bad dude. He did and said evil things all the time. And he comes to Jehoshaphat 
and says, I think we need to attack the city called Ramoth Gilead and take it back from the Aramaeans. Are you with me? Will you help me? And Jehoshaphat says, okay, I'll help you, but we need to consult the prophets to see if God will bless this attack. So Jehoshaphat's thinking correctly. He wants to consult. That's how they, you know, kind of made sure and talked to God in those days was through the prophets. They didn't have the word of God um, necessarily. So they spoke to the, uh, they went to the prophets, and Ahab calls in 400, yes, you heard me, 400 of his royal counselor's prophets to ask them, are we going to be victorious if we go to battle? And all 400 of them said, absolutely, you're going to be victorious. Why? Because they wanted to gain Ahab's favor. They didn't want to risk their own safety, their own lives. So they lied to him, told him what they, he, they thought he wanted to hear. And Ahab was thrilled. He's like, let's do it. Well, Jehoshaphat, who was a decent king, said, I don't. I don't think this is right. Let's consult a true prophet of God. Do you have any true prophets around here? And Ahab says, yeah, we got this one guy. His name's Micaiah, um, but I hate him because he never predicts anything good about me. Well, duh, Ahab was a bad dude, and Micaiah was a true prophet of God. Those things don't necessarily go together. So Micaiah... Uh, the messenger sends, uh, so, but Ahab calls for Micaiah anyway. And this messenger that goes to get him says, hey, listen, you're going to come and you're going to speak to the king and I want you to speak favorably. I want you to say what he wants you to hear. And all the other prophets have agreed, so you do the same thing. And you know what Micaiah says? This is so powerful. He says, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. So at first he tells Ahab mockingly what he thinks he wants to hear. Ahab calls his number. He says, tell me the truth. And he says, all right, here it is. No, you're not going to be victorious. You're going to get your fannies kicked. And also, King Ahab, you're going to die in the battle. Well, Ahab was furious. That's not what he wanted to hear at all. So he then throws Micaiah in prison. And then we don't hear anything else about Micaiah. Micaiah has gone to prison and risked his life in the face of great political and um, professional pressure. He has spoken the truth and his courage to be in, have integrity in that moment has inspired generations and generations. Speaking the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. In, this ver in the verses leading up to this, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian Christians that are the body of Christ, and he's telling them that God has called them to live a life worthy of the calling they have received. He tells them to live and bear with one another in love and to serve each other with the gifts they have been given. 
And he says that this, the goal for everyone is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. God wants us to grow up in our faith and grow to spiritual maturity. One of the ways that he allows that and, help, and helps us through that is through the body. We are supposed to be speaking the truth in love to one another. Again, gotquestions.org says we are to train one another in truth. The foundational gospel truths. Truths about who God is and what he has called us to do. And hard truths of correction. And our motivation is love. We are to speak the truth in love, not speak the truth out out of love, not to hide the truth out of love, but speak the truth in love. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to say something, to respond with the truth, to defend the truth, or lovingly point out how someone has wandered from the truth, we need to speak. Honesty at times will hurt someone, but we can be gentle and honest at the same time. We can be gentle and honest at the same time. We also have to be teachable. And this is the hardest thing. Because no one likes constructive criticism or criticism of any kind. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, really, it's hard to hear. But if it's what God wants us to hear, if the Holy Spirit is prompting someone to speak into your life, I'm not talking about that brutal honesty that's said out of to hurt someone. I'm talking about loving truths that someone needs to hear from God's word. And we need to be able to receive it. That's growing to spiritual maturity. And that's how we grow up. You are in a Christian community is huge in in, in setting yourself up for this, for this speaking the truth in love and having someone speak to you. You guys are in a community right now where you are loved. And we all want everyone, every one of us leaders want you guys to grow in spiritual maturity. That's why you're here, right? And you want to grow in spiritual maturity. So let's speak the truth in love so we can grow up. I have a dear friend that I met 25 years ago when I lived in Philadelphia. I lived there for 10 years. Boy, it was hard. But I did root for the Eagles the other night. Um, even though I'm a Cowboys fan, that's a whole other story. Um, but I lived there for 10 years. I met Mitra uh, when I was dropping Luke off in the nursery when he was not even two years old. And she was working in there. She is a Jewish believer from Iran. She came to America when she was 16 and lived with a Christian family and became a believer. And, y'all, she is so amazing and rock solid. We have stayed close friends all through the years, all through my moves. She continues to call and check on me and ask for prayer and pray over me. And, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get choked up. And she is one of those people that adores the truth of God, and she also loves me. And there have been times in my life when I knew I needed to hear the truth about a decision I'd made or something I was thinking about doing. If I want the truth, I call Mitra. Because I know she'll tell me the truth in a, in a gentle way. 
Something happened with my mom over a year ago, and she spoke the truth to me, and I changed my whole course of action because of it. Y'all, we all need a Mitra in our lives. We all need a Mitra. Do you have one? It's important, super important. The other way that we can be walking in truth is in our conduct, the actions that we take. So we walk in truth in our conversations and in our conduct. The actions that we take, those things that we do when no one else is looking, that's integrity. One more quote from gotquestions.org. They say, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated integrity means the condition of being without blemish, complete, wholeness, uprightness. What did you say this morning the definition of integrity is? Undivided. I love that. Undivided heart. Think about that. Integrity in the Old Testament. and the New Testament, it adds in honesty and adherence to a pattern of good works. So when we're, when we're honest in our conduct, we're showing integrity. And there are three ways that I'm going to point out that we can show that integrity. The first is to do what Jesus would do. Anybody remember the saying, what would Jesus do? Some of you guys were probably raised with it because I know that I raised, it was popular when my kids were growing up. And, you know, we had the bracelet and the T-shirt, and it was all about what would Jesus do. That, the point was to stop and think before you act or speak and think what Jesus would do. And so we want to make choices that are self-sacrificial, even if it cost us, because that's what Jesus did. That's a tall, tall order. For example, taking the time to put the cart back in the cart holder instead of leaving it in the um, parking space so that someone else can run into it and hurt their car. Or um, maybe going back to the cash, maybe saying to the cashier, you gave me too much change. Or getting in your car and realizing you forgot to pay something and going back to pay for it. Or helping that neighbor that's really difficult that you would rather avoid. Helping that neighbor with cleaning up their branches after the ice storm. Or owning up to something that you didn't, that you did, owning up to something that you did, or not taking credit for something that you didn't do. The point of what Jesus would do, that whole, that whole campaign, was to get kids to stop and think before they followed their peers into some kind of action that wasn't God's best for them. And that applies to us as well. Focus on the Family Canada has this curriculum called Kids of Integrity. And you can look it up. You can, you can view it. It's, it's really good. And they have all these different character traits. And the one on honesty has a story about a seven-year-old boy named Tanner Munsey. And they explain that Tanner's reputation for being honest earned him a mention in the scorecard column of the July 10th, 1989 issue of Sports Illustrated magazine. Here's his story. During a t-ball game in Wellington, Florida, Tanner attempted to tag a player leaving first base. He's seven, y'all. When the umpire called the player out, Tanner immediately informed the umpire that he hadn't managed to tag the runner. Two weeks later, 
Tanner encountered the same umpire in another t-ball game. This time, Tanner was playing shortstop and tagged a runner as they approached third base. When the umpire called the player safe, Tanner didn't say a word, but the umpire noticed his surprise at the call. Did you tag the runner? The umpire asked. And when Tanner affirmed that he had indeed tagged the runner, the umpire changed her decision and called the player out. When the coaches and other parents protested, the umpire stood by her decision, informing them that she had learned to trust Tanner because of his honesty. That's what we want. We want the world to look at us and see trustworthiness because that reflects God's character. Another way that we can practice integrity is keeping our promises. Keeping our promises. We want to be careful to make promises that we can keep and commitments that we follow through with. This is especially important with our kids because when we break trust, when we don't keep our promises, it breaks trust and that's hard to repair. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 37, all you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's, you may have heard your yes be yes and your no be no. When you commit to something, follow through. That's keeping, that's integrity. And then the last one, and boy, this one's a tough one. Practicing what we preach. We want to practice what we preach. We don't want to be a hypocrite. That's not having integrity. Our lives should line up with our profession of faith. A hypocrite is someone who acts in contradiction to what they say. So we want to practice what we preach. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were super guilty of hypocrisy. Jesus addresses it with them often. In Matthew 23, 27, he called them whitewashed tombs because outside they were following the law, but inside they were full of deceit and their hearts were hardened. He convicts them in Matthew uh, 23, in verse 25, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. There's so many things that we do that don't line up with our words. And it, it's so convicting because God's standard is holiness. Holiness. Perfection. He calls us to holiness, but he also knows that we fall so short. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to give us the strength to walk in integrity, to walk in holiness, to turn from our sin, those things that, that aren't pleasing to him, and walk in truth. When we say one thing but do another, we're hypocrites. If we judge others before judging ourselves, we're hypocrites. When we say we love God but we don't love our brother or our neighbor, we're hypocrites. When our words don't line up with our actions, we're being dishonest. And this does not shine God's light. 
Walking in truth means being honest in our conversations and in our conduct. Doing the right thing when no one's looking. Speaking the truth in love. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. John, 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's another way to flip this verse that, that makes sense to me is those who walk in fellowship with God walk in the light and practice truth. Those who walk in fellowship with God walk in the light and practice truth. What is walking with God? It means being like-minded with him, understanding that holiness that he calls us to, but the beautiful grace that he gives us when we fall short. Unity of purpose, like-mindedness. God is truth and calls us to walk in truth. He has a ridiculously high standard for us that he calls us to, but he loves us and gives us grace through his son and his Holy Spirit to walk with him. So when we lie, when you lie and you will, it's important to confess it. God asks us to be honest with him too. We can't hide from him. We want to confess those things that we've done or said. And then remember that Jesus lived our life. He knows our temptations and our weaknesses. And unconfessed sins can actually get in the way of our prayers, which we definitely don't want. So we want to confess our sins and be honest with God because he's not surprised by your sin. He loves you in spite of it. Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I didn't put this one on your handout, but you wouldn't might want to write it down and memorize it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have to clean ourselves up and then go to God. We, he accepts us just as we are. And then he helps us. Once we've trusted Christ as our Savior, he helps us get towards that holiness, work towards that holiness. Be authentic with God. Don't try to pretend everything's all right if it isn't. King David poured out his heart and all his struggles and his questions to God, and God met him right where he is or was, and he'll do the same with you. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he left us his Holy Spirit, and when we cooperate and take those baby steps with the Holy Spirit, then he can help us overcome our struggles and walk in his light and in the truth. I'm going to close with this quote, and then I'm going to call Sue up, who's going to share some great things that she has um, learned in her life about integrity and honesty. Um, but this Kent Hughes is a Bible. He's a pastor, commentary, author, uh, pretty well known. He's been around for years. Um, he said, integrity characterizes the entire person, not just part of him. He is righteous and honest through and through. He is not only that inside, but also in his outer actions. 
Walking in truth means being honest in our conduct and our conversations. All right. Come on up, Sue. Thank you so much, Sue, for Is it on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Agreeing to share with us this morning. I'm so looking forward to what you have to say. Um, so this is Sue McElendon. She's one of our mentor moms, and um, she's going to tell us just briefly about her family for those of you that don't know. Okay, well, first I want to say I wish this had been courage because it's easy to say I was timid and now I've become courageous. It's hard to say I used to be deceitful. So, Whew. so I am Sue, and I've been married to Paul for 25 years. We have four kids between the ages of 17 and 23. Okay, so um, Sue is one of the most encouraging people I've ever known in my life, and those of you that are in her group, you know that. Um, she, like me, has walked a lot of years in this life and learned a lot that we love to share. Uh, we're still learning. We're always learning every day. Um, so Sue, I mentioned three areas of our lives that women often struggle with dishonesty, gossip, covering up sin, and white lies, uh, specifically those white lies to avoid conflict. Can you give us an example of how these affected your life and how you dealt with it? Mm -hmm. So I think most of us don't lie with a bad reason, but we want life to go well for us. So that's why we tend to gossip because we think we'll have friends or why we are deceitful because we think it'll help us gain something. I mean, we're out to help our lives become better. So I'm going to tell you a story about when my kids were little because I can remember that one really well. It's a specific story that kind of illustrates that, but I will tell you about myself. So there was one time that we discovered little paper towels that were filled with candy in our daughter's backpack. And they weren't particularly well wrapped or anything. Like the candy was loose, the paper towels were half open, but they were all over her backpack. So we spent a lot of time getting to the bottom of this. And we discovered that there were kids at her school who were swapping candy with each other, and she felt left out. So she wanted to contribute, and she didn't think we would understand if she came to us. So she you know, snuck the candy and wrapped it in the paper towels to be part of this trading thing. So my whole point is she just wanted life to go well for her. She didn't want the candy. She didn't really care about that. She wanted to be included in the group, and she didn't think that we would understand. And how often do we do that? Because we think we want life to go well for us, but God wouldn't understand if we told the truth. So that's kind of, that's my example for her. And for myself, I didn't sneak candy or anything, but I manipulated words to cover up my sin. So if I, um, I couldn't really ever think of any examples, but I know that I was full of pride and I, always, I never wanted to admit I was wrong. And I had an old boyfriend tell me, you just don't ever wanna be wrong. And that kind of made me think, I really don't. I wanna say if, if he told me, I like the day you were wearing the blue dress, I might say it was green. And I would absolutely die on the fact it was green. I would never ever admit it was blue. So that's kind of the stuff that I did. And so how did you, did God, convict you in this or how did you come to a yeah well I always wanted to have a lot of friends that's why I lied was just to get people to like me so when I um, became a Christian I joined a group of other Christians and they were such nice genuine people and just being around them 
kind of made me see my own sin a little bit. And the more I read the word and started to hear about how God can work in your life, I just, I felt convicted that I needed to shape up my behavior a little bit. Okay. And so did you, um, you had an example about um, how honesty uh, impacted your marriage? Yeah. So I became, a, like, once I became a Christian, and the more I loved God, the more honest I became. And I stopped a lot of, I stopped all of those bad behaviors. I just used, I started to tell the truth about everything. And it helped my marriage a lot. But funnily enough, my husband worked for a division of a company that got bought by somebody else. And the people that bought it, he looked into their backgrounds and felt they were dishonest. And he didn't want to work for them. And I respected that. Like, my new honesty policy was, yes, that's good. I'm with you. So we had to move. And we moved. That's how we moved to England. And England was very difficult for me. Life didn't go well because my whole, all my friendships were gone. The ladies all worked over there. And I was kind of alone at home with the kids all day. It was very neat. I mean, it was very cool to live in Europe and be around that culture. But I felt very lonely. And honesty was kind of what brought us there. But at the same time, the Lord was kind of growing in me, saying, you're counting on these other people to bring you happiness, and I am all that you need. And that was a season of growing for me, that he really was all that I needed. I love having friends. I love knowing more and more people. But really, the Lord is all that I need for my happiness. And that was a lesson I had to learn. So you, le- so you guys leaned into that honesty, mm-hmm. and, and you thought it was going to go one way. Yeah. <laughs> and it went another. And that's right, what happens right. sometimes, right? Right. Very good. Very good. So I also talked about the importance of integrity and being honest in our conduct. Um, can you tell us about a time when you chose to do something that um, is doing the right thing, but it might have cost you? Um, that was the moving to England. Oh, but okay. I do want to say... You know, we've talked a lot about courage this semester, and now we're going to talk a lot about honesty. Some of these things, are you just take little baby steps to change them. It's not like you're going to go from being timid to courageous or being dishonest to honest or stopping gossip to never gossiping again. You just take a little baby step in the right direction. And it's funny how those baby steps will become regular steps and then become longer strides. It really is a process. And I just want to encourage you to lean into the process. And if you backslide, that's okay. We all backslide. But you'll just take those baby steps, and that really makes a big difference. Thank you, Sue. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Well, the Lord knows the best. And, you know, I do like to encourage, and it's kind of a natural thing for me. And I really think that all those years of manipulating my words so that I would look good, when I gave that up, it became a gift of encouragement. And I wasn't looking for a gift. I wasn't trying to do that. It's just that the more I started to follow God, my powers of observation that helped me get my own way also were the powers of observation that helped me see things in other people. And instead of using them to manipulate those people, I started using them to point out things that I thought were really amazing about them. And that gave me a lot of friends. I wasn't even trying to have friends. I never, ever encouraged out of a sense of, I want something from you. It was like, you look really nice in that color. And I really meant it. And somehow then people would like me from that. So, I mean, honesty really is the best policy. That's so good. (laughs) It reminds me of that verse, um, Ephesians 4.29. 
that we should speak words that of encouragement to build others up and how God mm-hmm. took those discouraging words that were harmful yeah. and turned it into something so good and so uplifting. Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, the Lord is amazing. I just want to encourage you, take the little baby steps to do something better, and it will build upon itself, and your life will be so much better. Great. Thank you so much, Sue. Awesome. All right, so there is an author, a writer called Gretschy Dutch, Kamalin, and she says, walking in truth means to bring our lives into conformity with God's revealed truth. So that's what Sue was doing when she was deciding to walk in the truth, bringing her life into conformity with God's truth, and he blessed it. We should stand firm in the truth of God's word, lead the truth, uh, teach the truth plainly, and take it as a starting point for all our moral decisions. Moreover, we should reflect God's trustworthiness and faithfulness in our daily lives. And that's what it's about, right? We're building families of character. We want to reflect God's character. God is honest. He cannot lie. Moses tells us in the book of Numbers that God cannot lie. He always keeps his promises. We want to be honest. We want to be trustworthy. We want to be faithful. And all these things start with honesty. So I want you to think about somewhere in your life that you can be more honest. And I have a line on your handout between the notes and the small group questions. And I want you to write down something that you heard this morning or something that the Holy Spirit convicted you about where you can be more honest. Go ahead and take a minute to do that. In two weeks, uh, next week is Heather Creekmore, and then in two weeks, Julie Whitehurst is going to share about being honest in marriage. So we get another great marriage talk. I know y'all are excited. Um, Okay, so the question is, is honesty always the best policy? We know the answer, but let's think about it like this. God calls us to walk in the light and practice truth. Walk in the light and practice truth. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the truth. That you are our light. In you there is no darkness at all. We can look to you, Lord, and you give us the strength to walk in your light. Father, we all struggle with honesty, and you know that. Lord, I just pray that you would give us clarity on where we can be more honest in our lives. I pray that we would reach out for accountability and help, that we would have that, all have that mitra in our lives that can speak the truth to us, that wherever it is, Lord, that you want to grow us up into spiritual maturity, that you would help us be open to that, I pray that we would be able to act in a way that pleases you, self-sacrificially loving others, making those decisions. You know how hard it is, Lord, 
to walk in honesty, and yet you call us to do it. So I pray that as we walk out of here, go into our small groups, that we would be honest in sharing our struggles and encouraging one another. I thank you for Sue's words of wisdom. Just pray that you would bring these things to mind throughout the week as we go from here. I pray you bless each mom for their time, that's have, having made the time to come and hear and be teachable. We ask for your blessings and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.